0: and our hope is that you would have a gospel-centered local church that you call home. Thanks again for listening. So, my wife and I, Stacy, we have the opportunity to work together. I'm in construction, and she's in interior design, so sometimes we work on our own projects at home, but sometimes we work on projects for clients, and it's good. Right, babe? It's good? (laughs) No, it is. it's, It's good. It's great most of the time. Uh... Sometimes it can be hard, but we ultimately do a good job and and create a good project for people. Uh, She's the vision person, and I'm the execution person. So she decides what she wants, and she can see it, and she tells me and explains it to me, and and then I have to create it, I have to make it happen. Whether it's remodeling a space or, or building out a new space or modifying some piece of furniture that her and her partner Emily have found and brought to the warehouse... Um, Usually with some discussion and explanation, we can get it done. So they do interior design so they can come up with anything and just say, hey, can you do this? Or they can see something and say, can you replicate this? And usually I'll start out by saying, no, I doubt it. (laughs) And then I end up doing it, and it's good because she's pushed me and stretched me and and made me figure out how to create something. But there's always through the process a lot of, of her saying, Look, it's going to look like this, and this is going to go here, and that's going to go there, and you've got to change this and cut this and put this there. And it just, I guess it's hard for me sometimes because I come from the commercial construction world where I always have a set of blueprints, and I have a, a spec book that tells me everything. It's all right there, laid out, shown to me on paper. There's not a lot of visualization. It's, it's right there, and I can see it. It uh, shows you how it's supposed to be. It even gives you something that's called elevation. So it it gives you a view like you're in the room. And you can see each wall like you're looking at it. So it it gives you a great picture of what's to come. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, The prophets in the Old Testament gave a great picture of what was to come with Jesus. And they did a great job of it as an architect does with plans. And just as Stacy does when she's explaining things to me, they laid it out. And they gave descriptions of who Jesus, Jesus was, who he was going to be, and and laid that out. So if you spend any time reading the prophets, there's no doubt you're going to come across messianic prophecies. Some people say there's over 300 prophecies in the Old T- Testament that were fulfilled by Jesus. Some say there's more. And obviously this time of year, there's some that, that we think of and we reference a lot. Isaiah 7:14 says... Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign: The virgin will be with child and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel. Then Isaiah 9, 6 says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace. We hear those a lot this time of year. And we could go on with more prophecies about the birth of Jesus when it was going to happen, where it was going to happen. But today we're going to focus on a couple other passages from Isaiah and see what they, what they were telling Israel about their coming Messiah and what they tell us about Jesus. So as we prepare our hearts to continue celebrating the coming of Jesus, I want to take time to do that, to celebrate his coming, yes. But really today I want to celebrate that he came with a purpose and that he came with a mission. And look at how he carried that out. And look at how all of it was laid out and foretold by the prophets. So our first verse, Isaiah 11.10, that Pastor Jonathan read, says this, In that day the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. Isaiah 11.10 prophecies Jesus' lineage from David as a root or a shoot of Jesse. This is confirmed at the start of Matthew. In Matthew 1, 1 through 16, if you want to go read that, you can. It basically gives the lineage of Jesus from Abraham all the way up to his father, not biological father, but up to Joseph. So this ties Jesus to David, which is very important, and it fulfills a prophecy. Now back to the root. Isaiah speaks of the root of Jesse, which implies something that precedes Jesse or comes before Jesse. So how is the root of Jesse also called the son of David? So some imagery here. I don't know if you know what yopon bushes are, but we have a ranch that has a lot of them. Uh, They're these little evergreen bushes with little green leaves, and sometimes they have red berries on them, and... They're probably, you know, small to medium-sized bushes when people use them for landscaping. Some people put them in their yards. But they can grow to be like a tree. They can get 20 feet tall. And anyway, they're plentiful on the ranch that we have. And sometimes when we clear brush, we've got to get rid of them. And the only real way to get rid of a yopon is to pull it up by its roots. You can cut it off, and you can spray poison on the stump. But if you give it a couple weeks, there'll be little yopons coming up from guess where? From the roots around that stump. The root is, I mean, the the stump is dead, but there's little yopons growing around it. And this is the exact same thing that Isaiah is saying about Jesus. Barnes' commentary says this the word root here, shoresh, is used in the sense of a root that is still alive when the tree is dead, a root that sends up a shoot or a sprout and is thus applied to him who should proceed from the ancient, decayed family of Jesse. This is fulfilled about Jesus in that the an- ancestry in the New Testament. See, Jesus sprang from the root, which is actually before the tree. It's in the ground, it anchors it, it feeds it, it gives it life, and it's what the tree grew from. And when the tree was cut down, everyone was gone, Jesse, David, and everybody that branched off of them. But the shoot came up from the root that was still alive. This is how Jesus is both the progenitor and the ancestor of David. And now Jesus stands as a new tree that the people come to for salvation. Or his glorious resting place, as verse 10 says. So this verse is also a picture of the Gentiles' conversion to Christianity. It says, of him. This root of Jesse, Jesus, the nations shall inquire. Now nations is plural, meaning more than just Israel. Nations means the world. The nations are seeking Jesus. That word, um, that word can also mean seek. The word for inquire can also mean seek, as in they're seeking a deliverer. So we see in the New Testament that the gospel is carried to the nations. And they turn to Jesus and believe and they're adopted into the family. Church, we're fortunate to be on this side of the cross. We have the gift of the Bible that lays all this out like a nice blueprint so we can see it. We can see the foundation plans, in essence, in the Old Testament. And then the New Testament gives us the the roof plan and the finish-out plan of the space as we see Jesus come on the scene and fulfill these prophecies one by one in obedience. And it just creates this beautiful picture that all makes sense for us. Let's look at our next passage. Isaiah 42, 1 through 4 is the first of four servant songs in Isaiah. It was mentioned a while ago, but one of the most familiar that everybody knows is the, the, the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. But in chapter 42, the servant's first introduced and his mission is laid out. It says this, we'll read it again, Isaiah 42, 1 through 4. Behold my servant whom I uphold, Verse 1 starts by saying, behold, and we sang it in that song a while ago. Behold, or look, look at my servant. And then it's very, very familiar to the blessing that the Father spoke over Jesus when, when John the Baptist baptized him. In Luke three twenty one 21-22, it says this, Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. The parallel in the language between these two verses makes it clear that Jesus is the servant being spoken of in verse 1 of chapter 42. And you see the reference to the Trinity there also, just like you do upon his baptism. He says, Behold my servant. That's God speaking. I've put my spirit on him, the Holy Spirit. Him being Jesus. This is no doubt Jesus. And this is important because there's other places in in Isaiah where he mentions God's servant, but he's clearly referencing Israel. But not here. Here he's speaking about Jesus. So the servant is upheld by God. He's chosen by God. God's soul delights in him, and he's put his spirit upon him. The servant has a task. He has a mission. He's to bring forth justice to the nations. Again, nations refer to the world, not just Israel. To accomplish this task, the servant's going to need God's strength. He will need God's spirit. He will require supernatural power to carry out this mission. He has to be fully God and fully man. Jesus fulfilling the prophecy of being a servant is shown over and over again in the Bible. Philippians 2, 5-7 In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Then in John 13, 1 through 17 Jesus performs a great act of servitude by washing his disciples' feet. He was a true servant. Now Israel, when they're reading these words, I'm sure they focused on the word justice and not on the word servant. That's what they desired and they knew there was a Messiah coming that would give them the justice they deserved. But see, they either had the blueprints turned upside down or they were confused or they weren't looking at it right because that's not the kind of justice that this servant was going to bring forth. And that justice wasn't just for Israel. And we'll circle back to that in a minute. Let's look at verse 2. It speaks of the humility of Jesus. He will not cry aloud or lift up His voice or make it heard in the street. Jesus' ministry was exactly like it was foretold. It was quiet and it was confident. He wasn't ostentatious. He wasn't loud. Not self-seeking. He didn't want accolades or glory. He carried out his ministry quietly and humbly. And again, there's multiple examples of this. In Matthew 8, 4, Jesus heals a leper, and he tells him not to say anything to anyone, just to go show himself to the priests and offer the required gift. In Matthew nine thirty, he heals two blind men and says, See that no one knows about this. And then after healing a man's hand in a synagogue on a Sabbath, which infuriated the Pharisees and made them try to figure out how to kill him. Matthew 12:15 through 21 says this. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. And then right here, Matthew cites Isaiah 42, 1 through 4 perfect fulfillment of the prophecy isaiah prophesied jesus would not be out to make a name for himself he wouldn't do miracles and heal people for shock value and make a big deal of it as a matter of fact he told people not to say anything about it he knew he needed to stay quiet until the right time and he went about his mission humbly and quietly just as the prophet said he would I think we need to ask ourselves this how do we go about our ministry whatever that is whether we're discipling somebody or volunteering somewhere do you do it without any need to be recognized or do you like to have a little pat on the back sometimes do you like some recognition for the good stuff you're doing just like hey somebody take notice you know I did something good If you're looking for recognition, you might need to take stock of your motives. We need to think about Jesus literally healing people, literally bringing people back from the dead, and then asking people not to say anything about it. You know, I've done some uh, coaching, and in football, I've realized sometimes the guy you want as your quarterback is, uh, is usually the guy that's fully capable, but he doesn't really want the job Um, because he doesn't care about the glory. Some people want that spot just because of what it comes with. Uh, So to the guy who doesn't really want it, the glory doesn't mean anything. He's all about the business, and the glory side of it just takes care care of itself. Jesus wasn't looking for the glory, but he will have it, and he hasn't. Verse 3. Verse 3 says, A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. The picture here is that of a reed, like of a reed and cattails that grow in a marshy place. And I'm familiar with those from years spent duck hunting. So if you can find a good stand of reeds in a pond uh, and cattails, it makes a great natural cover for duck hunting. But you've got to be careful because they're fragile. Um, If you step on them or bump into them, it will bruise them. And at that point where they bruise, they break and they fall over and they can't hold their own weight up anymore. If you've ever sent a dog crashing through the reeds, then it it just leaves a, a trail of open water. So Jesus was compassionate. He saw the physically sick and the spiritually sick, and he was careful with them. He was tender with the bruised reed. He didn't just walk by and break them off. But he lifted them up and nurtured them until they could hold their own weight again. See, what most of us would see as useless, Jesus sees as important and relevant. He sees our brokenness and he heals us. He doesn't leave us broken. He doesn't consider us a lost cause. The faintly burning wick describes us also. Our spirit and our energy can wane with the trouble of this world. That our light gets really dim so that it's almost not there. But Jesus sees that smoldering wick. He sees that, that ember about to go out. And he doesn't let it go out. He fans it back into a flame. He tends the flame. He puts oil back in the lamp if it's needed. This is the servant king that we worship. The prophets described Jesus and he went on to fulfill every characteristic they spoke about him in the way he lived and in the way he carried out his ministry. Verse 4 shows us how Jesus was in the human condition but he didn't react like a typical human. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. He will not grow faint or be discouraged. The things that we do, Jesus doesn't. Um, in fulfillment of this prophecy he had a mission to accomplish and he wasn't going to rest until he spoke the words it is finished from the cross he bore the most brutal beating you can imagine the most worst torture imaginable he never complained or argued he even prayed for his abusers he wasn't discouraged nor did he grow faint until he had brought justice to the nations and there's that word again justice that we talked about earlier. Justice that Israel was seeking. The word justice is a word that comes up three times in these four verses. When you read them, you'd think justice means righting a wrong or getting revenge or being vindicated finally, proven right. But that's not the justice Isaiah was speaking of. The justice Isaiah was speaking of is this. By Jesus' sacrifice, We were made just before God. We are justified. Which by definition is this. Justification. God's righteous act of removing the guilt and penalty of sin. While at the same time declaring the ungodly to be righteous. Through faith in Christ's atoning sacrifice. Matt spoke about the law and sacrifice last week. That no matter how many sacrifices were made, it couldn't fix the sin problem only one perfect sacrifice could do that. And from that sacrifice then we received that justice that Jesus brought forth, and he did it faithfully just like Isaiah said he would. Verse 4 says the coastlands wait for his law. The use of this word, the coastlands refers to all the areas beyond what can be seen, all the areas beyond the sea. And again the nations the coastlines wait for his law. His law is the truth, the truth is the gospel, and it will be carried to them. This justice that Jesus provided by being an obedient service, it's this: It's that if you have faith in Him, that He is fully God, that he was born and lived a perfect life, that he bore the sins of the world, that he bore your sins and my sins, that he died on a cross and was risen the third day, and defeated death in the grave. If you believe in these facts, then you're justified. You're justified and made righteous before a holy God. And you get to spend eternity with Him and with other believers. And it's not because of anything you can do. It's a gift you receive because of this sacrifice that Jesus made obediently that was foretold and that He went and took care of. So that's the justice that was brought forth. I'll close with this. You know, all my years looking at uh, construction documents at blueprints, it still happens to me sometimes that when I finish a project, I walk into the space and I look around and, and I'm still surprised. I'll say, wow, this is bigger than I thought it was going to be, or... Okay, that's what that was supposed to look like. I mean, I've looked at the plans for months and I still didn't know exactly what it was going to be when it was finished. The prophets laid out God's plans. Jesus was laid out in the plans of the Old Testament. You can see them from all angles there. Proof that Jesus was not plan B. Jesus was always the plan. The Pharisees poured over the Scriptures. They memorized them, but they still didn't know what it was supposed to look like. They didn't know what the finished product was going to look like, so they dismissed it. And today it's the same. If you're looking for something else in Jesus, something other than a servant, something other than the Jesus of the Bible, then you're going to miss it. The Old Testament laid it out, and the New Testament confirms it. What Jesus came to do. So this Christmas, as we approach Christmas, let's celebrate the birth of Jesus. And let's tell the stories of him coming and read the beautiful verses about his birth that night. But let's also celebrate his life and his mission and how he accomplished it. And the justice that it provided us. And how it was all foretold. That justice that he provided for us is the greatest gift of all. Pray with me.